before we read the Word of God from Ephesians. Pray with me. Father, this passage that we are about to read tells us that we are at war. Which means these are serious things. Pray that You would help us as we consider these that You would open our eyes to the war that is around us and the war that is not. Pray that You would instruct us through Your Word, Spirit, that You would be in the preaching of the Word and in the receiving of the Word in each of our hearts. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Do you have a little bit of feedback there? Are we good? <clears throat> so, as we sing songs, I don't know if you're ever struck by the weirdness of them. The songs we sing as Christians... Because we come in together and we sing about war and armies and stuff, and you look around and you're like, we, this is no point of reference for most of our lives. <laughs> we talk about swords, and have any of you held a sword? A couple of you maybe. <laughs> but you know, our culture has weird songs too. Uh, uh, some of you maybe let your kids occasionally listen to music, and you're like, what is this song about? Like, Everybody wants to be my enemy. Do any of you kids know that song? Everybody wants to be your enemy. I'm looking at my kids. I'm like, no, they don't. <laughs> Who wants to be your enemy? <laughs> okay, you know, you know, your parents are very proud. Um, <laughs> everybody doesn't want to be your enemy. Um, and so, uh, and yet, our passage that we're about to read reminds us we do have an enemy. We have a very serious enemy. So let's read from Ephesians 6, starting verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand firm, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith which which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Praise God. So we have an enemy. We are in this passage 
tells us a spiritual war. But when we talk about spiritual warfare, it sounds probably to most of us pretty foreign. We read our Bibles, so we know about the experiences Jesus had with the, the demons casting them out. We can think back on those. Kids, you're familiar with stories from the Bible about that. But for most of us, the biggest point of reference we have for this is like Frank Peretti. Um, and so that is what we think of when we think of spiritual warfare. They don't, these terms, spiritual warfare, demons, they don't bring to mind anything remotely connected to our day-to-day lives. And I, there's several reasons for these. I think we we live in a naturalistic, materialistic sort of culture. And so we've been trained to believe that we, on, we to only think and factor in things that we can see and we can touch and we can test scientifically. And in this context, the devil's greatest play is to keep a low profile. Somebody has said, it's been noted by multiple people that the greatest trick the devil ever played was convincing the world that he doesn't exist. A second reason we don't see spiritual warfare is probably because we're Baptists. Like we're, we're not crazy charismatics. And for those of us, uh, Jonathan Gunby pointed this out at a men's breakfast recently, for many of us who have been had some exposure to some charismatic um, groups, there, there's, there's a kind of a, a pendulum swing against the imbalances where everything is blamed on the devil. Satan took out my ankle. We can get back to that and talk about whether that happened, but probably not. A third reason we don't think about spiritual warfare is because we're Calvinists. It doesn't seem necessary for us to factor in demonic activity when we know that the heart of man is desperately wicked. Others feel the need to blame the devil for horrific evil. We're quite comfortable blaming man. My question for us tonight is whether we're too comfortable with ignoring the devil. Our passage tonight reminds us that the reason we need to finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might is because we have an enemy, a strong spiritual, powerful, personal enemy plotting to take us down. And the devil is not merely sniping you as an individual. He is shooting for your brothers and sisters gathered here. He is scheming against your parents, kids. The devil wants to take out your parents. He wants to take out your pastors and your missionaries. He is trying to undermine your wife's faith and your husband's purity. He is stirring up divisions in the church and destruction in our society. He is coordinating attacks at multiple levels. And if we don't understand the battle, we won't understand the danger. If we don't understand the danger, we won't understand our need. We will think we can get by in our own strength, in our own resources. But our passage tonight calls us to stand firm in the middle of a spiritual war. I had originally titled it, Stand Firm in God's Strength, which is also great. But we are standing firm in God's strength in the middle of a spiritual war. And we do this by knowing our enemy, visiting our armory, and praying constantly. 
So we're going to have to move quickly to touch on each of these. And I'm going to disappoint you with how little I touch on some of them. And you can come talk to me. And we'll, uh, we'll continue to talk about God's Word in Ephesians 6. First, know your enemy. Verse 12 says, We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So many of us think about spiritual warfare as something you like level up to. Like God sees that you're a really strong Christian, and He says, I'm going to put you, I think I'm going to put you in, into the fight. I'm sending you into the fight. You are already in the fight. Spiritual warfare is not the rare interruption to our mundane existence, our mundane experiences. It is the backdrop to and the explanation of the regular things that happen to us. That's true for us. That was true for the Ephesians. The reason Paul needed to remind the Ephesians that our battle is not against flesh and blood is because the Ephesians were tempted like us to believe our battle is against flesh and blood. The Ephesians were not like super spiritual. They were like us. And like us, they fixated on the physical. They forgot the spiritual. We think people are the problem. Our battles are with our brother over who gets to play Fortnite first. Am I right? Our battles are with that sister, that impossible sister who ruins every family get-together. Our battles are with our kids over clothes and technology and homework. Our battles maybe are with upper management or with the union. They're with that lazy coworker or with those liberal politicians. And as long as the problem is defined in human terms, then I am looking for human solutions. And commonly, I am relying on human strength. My strength, not God's. So we're not ready to stand firm in the Lord's strength until we realize there is a whole lot more going on than we can see with our eyes. Your teenager is not just facing hormones and peer pressure and technology created to create addictions. They are being assaulted by a powerful spiritual enemy who wants to steal, kill, and destroy. And we struggle here. We get nervous because if we let people blame the devil... They won't own their own sin. A hangover is not an attack from the devil. It's a reminder that the sin of drunkenness is an evil and bitter thing. An out-of-control child may just be because you failed to discipline them in the sphere of the Lord. It's possible. But, for some of you, the problem is not that you haven't fought hard enough. It's that you have been fighting the wrong enemy. Our passage says this has got to be big in our minds. We are at war with the devil. Our enemies are cosmic powers and spiritual forces of evil. 
We need to be aware of this. Peter says in the first letter, he writes, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. The God of this world, as Satan is called in the Scriptures, blinds the minds of unbelievers, deceives the nations, and actively impedes the spread of the Gospel. He filled the, the heart of Ananias to lie. He put betrayal into the heart of Peter, or into the heart of Judas, and with Peter, he would have taken him out too if Jesus hadn't prayed for him. And he is gunning for you as well. He will attack you with accusations, with afflictions, with temptations. He is coming for you. And He's not only powerful, but He's strategic. The Bible tells us that He has, here in our passage, methods, schemes. He capitalizes on situations like unresolved anger. That's a good place for bitterness. Christians who are slow to forgive. I can take take out a couple people that way. And married people who don't come together frequently enough. These are just a few of what our passage refers to as the schemes or the methods of the devil. And the devil, he's been developing his playbook for millennia. He's got something for every situation. I'm borrowing some of this from a message from John Piper, but he's got a book for every stage in life, for every country. We think we can change our circumstance and fix, get out of the battle. No, you will not fix it by, by getting up to a, a new um, income bracket. You will not fix it necessarily by getting rid of your technology. It might be a good move, but you can't put your hope in that. The devil has lots of methods. He's got a well-developed playbook and he is sneaky. He has lots of snares that he uses. He uses simple snares to catch people. He uses complex snares to bring a whole church into disgrace. He's got a lot of methods. Now, we want to segment all our problems and we either blame the world, the flesh, or the devil. But it's important that we see that God's Word is not this simplistic. Ephesians 2 earlier in this book, he, he says, and you were dead in your trespass and sins in which you once walked following the, the course of this world. We were talking about you and your, later on we'll say the passions of your flesh the desires of your body and mind. But now we're following the world. Well, which one is it? Is it flesh or is it world? Oh, wait. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. Satan's in here too. We just blamed all three. This is how the Bible regularly works. It sees all of these enemies overlaying each other. So the devil is not separate. His activity is not separate from your your fleshly temptations or the influence of the world. He is coordinating all of them. Now, I want to say a few things to the kids because maybe you were like where I was when I was younger, smaller, and I was kind of afraid of the devil. Some of you, if you're paying attention, these things sound scary. The idea of having a massively powerful enemy that you can't see is terrifying. And God doesn't want you to be afraid. If you come to Jesus, if you have come to Jesus as your Savior and Lord, 
You belong to the one who is so much more powerful than the devil. And you are under his protection. He can't touch you. Without God's permission. Have you ever been afraid of a bully? Have you ever been afraid of a bully? Maybe in your neighborhood or at school or somewhere. Are you afraid when you walk out with your dad? Probably not. Why? Because he's stronger. And he's going to take care of you. That's how it is with God. He never takes a break and he never gets distracted. And he promises, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And the Bible tells us that not only is God watching us, but He's watching Satan as well. The devil doesn't get to do whatever he wants. God has allowed him some freedom, but it's limited. He's like a dog chained to a fence. We see from stories like Job that Satan needs to get special permission from God to test God's people. So kids, you don't need to fear the devil. And adults... Brothers and sisters, we don't fear the devil, but we do need to know that we have a real enemy. Second, we want to visit our armory. Visit your armory. With the first point, we saw that the reason we need God's strength to stand, we saw that there was a reason we need God's strength to stand because we have a real enemy. And with the next two, we see the way God enables us to stand here in this passage, Ephesians 6. If we collapse verse 14 um, through the end of the, uh, to verse 20, end of our section, we get, stand therefore, having put on the whole armor of God and praying at all times. So the first thing is, stand therefore, having put on the whole armor of God. And so Paul starts with the armor. This is this is critical if we're going to understand how we're supposed to stand up against such a formidable foe. Verse 11 is a restatement of verse 10. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. And that's a restatement of verse 10 when he says, finally... Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. So this is how we do that. This is how we put on God's strength. We put on His armor. What is the armor that He gives us? What is this armor? Verse 14, we'll read it again. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit which is the Word of God. Amen. In short, the armor God gives us is the Gospel. What you need in order to withstand the devil's attacks is to be clothed with some really basic Christian realities. To remind yourself of them. To take them up. To put them on. To use them. Use this Gospel. And what is this Gospel? This good news that we receive as armor. First, we need truth. So our brother helped us last night with this one. We need 
truth. We take truth and we wrap it around ourselves. Like, like, like a belt or maybe it was um, the lower armor that, that, that they wrapped around. Um, and we, we wrap it around our waist, our loins. We wrap ourselves with truth. Ephesians 1.13 calls the Gospel the Word of Truth. What is the truth we wrap ourselves? The Gospel, the Word of Truth. And Ephesians 4.14 says that truth is given so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. Truth is given to protect us, to keep us stable, to help us stand firm. So if you want to stand firm, you need to believe in God's truth and you need to celebrate it in His Word. Get in God's Word. Make it a priority. What else do we need? Righteousness. We need to put on the breastplate of righteousness. In, in Revelations 12, Satan is called the accuser of the brethren. Are the brothers. It says that he accuses them day and night before our God. We, we see a zoomed in version of this in the prophet Zechariah. In chapter 3, the prophet sees Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, and he's just in filthy garments. And they represent sin. And we see Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. This is one of Satan's methods. And it works. It works because there is always some sin and sometimes great sin in your life that he can point to and say, you are no Christian. You have no place in God's kingdom. Haven't you read? Who can ascend to the hill of the Lord except he who has clean hands and a pure heart? And that is not you. But here's the beauty of the Gospel. Here is the beauty of imputed righteousness. We did not forge this breastplate. So come at me, bro. Our confidence is like Paul's in Philippians 3. That we would be found in Christ, not having a righteousness of our own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God that depends on faith. When Satan accuses Joshua, the priest has nothing to say. But God does. The Lord rebuke you, Satan, is what he says. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this a brand plucked from the fire? And then he takes Joshua's filthy garments, takes them off, and he says, Behold, I have taken your iniquity away from you, and I will clothe you with pure vestments. And I think somewhere in there, over the vestments, he gives him a breastplate. Friends, if you have never come to Jesus, if you've been scrubbing your clothing, trying to get them clean enough that you can maybe be rescued out of Satan's kingdom, know that God offers to you the same gift 
that He gave to Joshua the high priest. Jesus has made a way for you to be washed and receive His perfect righteousness as a gift that will be your clothing and take away your dishonor and take away your vulnerability. So brothers and sisters, for those of us who know this, let us take up this breastplate entrusting ourselves to the righteousness from God whenever Satan attacks. And Satan will attack. I love this quote by Spurgeon. Never dispute with the devil. He can always beat you. Go straight to the cross. If he says, Thou art no saint, say then, Very likely I am not. But there is one thing thou canst not deny. Thou canst not say I am not a sinner. A sinner I am. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And if I have never before trusted in Him, I will begin now. That's good armor. That is really good armor. And that same heavenly material, which is better than mithril, and it's better than vibranium, it runs through all the rest. The Gospel brings us peace with God that fits on our feet like those uh, war boot sandals that the Roman soldiers would have been wearing for stability. And that gives us a firm footing in the Gospel, the Gospel of peace with God and with one another whenever Satan comes and presses against us. Our absolute reliance on this Gospel is what we raise up as a shield whenever and forever every fiery dart of temptation or doubt that Satan throws at us. And protecting our minds when Satan tries to get in there, we have a helmet of salvation that celebrates this Gospel. And it draws our minds to when God will bring our salvation to completion and glorification. And some of you right now are disappointed because you want to know more about each individual piece. We can talk about that. You're saying, this armor is basically like all the same stuff. Yes! That's how the Gospel works. It's not complex. But its application to our lives is very involved. The material of the Gospel these things are made of is the same beautiful good news that rests in what God has done and not what we do. And yet, with the way it fits to our body and protects the different parts of us, all of our whole being is protected by God. That is complex, which is why we need a wisdom greater than our own to apply this Gospel to each part of our day to day. We need an authority greater than our own. And this is why we also take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The Word of God has the wisdom we need to see this good news applied in your parenting and as you try to figure out social media for yourself and at work and in your homeschooling and as you interact with your family and with your neighbors. In all of these... We take up the armor of God. We take up the sword of the Spirit. 
And yet we do not take up this sword to hack at each other. Because back to our first point, our battle is not against flesh and blood. It's against the powers, the demonic forces that are arrayed against what God is doing in this world and what God is doing in your heart and in your family. And this should give us a sense of sobriety and reminder that we are way outmatched. We are way outmatched, which is why God also tells us the second thing, the second way we appeal to His power, we stand firm in His strength and the strength of His might is by verse 18, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. When we forget we are in a spiritual war, prayer doesn't make sense. There's way too much to do. There are way too many things to figure out. And who has to figure them out? This guy. Or, or you guys in your own lives. But being reminded that we are at a war has this great effect of pushing us past our resources, out of our abilities, out of our competencies. And we have no option. We have no other option but to pray. Our prayers no longer are fueled by obligation, but by desperation. That's good fuel. The enemy that you face is way too big for you. You can't solve this with one more resolve, one more tweet storm, one more parenting book, one more political campaign. You are outmatched. But God is not. So God moves us from a place of self-reliance to reliance on Him. And this is how we can be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. We do it by praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. And coming to the, the prayer meeting that John's read, leading in the morning. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the Gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. And what is he wanting? That I may declare this gospel boldly as I ought to speak. Why was Paul constantly in prayer? It's because he knew what was on the line. That's why he was willing to suffer as an ambassador in chains. He knew what was on the line. The souls of men. The spread of the gospel. The glory of God. I think my own prayers are sometimes weak because all that's on the line is my comfort. When I forget there is a war, I forget what prayer is for, and I wonder why it doesn't work. Another reference to John Piper that is familiar to many of you. He reminds us prayer is a wartime walkie-talkie. He loves this analogy. It's a wartime walkie-talkie, not a domestic intercom. 
for ringing up the butler to change the thermostat. It's a wartime walkie-talkie to call in the firepower because the enemy is greater than we are. You try to turn this thing into a domestic intercom to bring another pillow and it malfunctions. I hope that conviction hits you where you need it to. But our passage isn't talking about prayer malfunctioning. Paul's confidence is that prayer works. Our cries call down power from heaven and when they do, the enemy does not stand a chance. Is that good news to any of you parents in something you're dealing with right now? Is that good news to any of you who are looking, who are reading news feeds that cause you some concern? You've just spent Aaron's two hours scrolling through uh, whatever feed you've got. That's good news. Satan is not merely frustrated by this power that we talk about calling down from heaven. He's not merely frustrated by it. He's terrified of it. God's power at work in us and through us shows Him His days are numbered. His kingdom is crumbling. Satan's kingdom is crumbling, but God is building something. He's building a temple, a people. Ephesians 3.10 tells us the church is God's magnum opus. His big work. The grand demonstration of His wisdom and power that He is putting on display to the rulers and authorities who are fighting us. And that's why Paul tells us, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication, not just for yourself, but for all the saints... All the saints. I wonder what it would do for our souls if we would make supplication for all the saints. Not just the saints of Rockport. Not just the saints who share our theology. But for all the saints. I wonder what remembering that our real enemy is the devil how that would help us when we turn our cannons instead of our prayers on one another. But somebody's going to say, there are human agents too. Satan uses humans. Doesn't First Timothy 4 say the teachings of demons are spread by insincere liars? Humans. Yes. And Paul follows that up in Second Timothy. Second Timothy chapter 2, verse 24, saying, and the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. Friends, our battle is not primarily against flesh and blood. We will not have won the war when we take down that teacher who we think went soft. Or that, or, or that guy 
that we don't like, when he falls into disgrace through some moral failing, we don't win. If they are in genuine error, they are just being used as a pawn. Satan is the real enemy. Our hope is not that we would destroy our opponents, but that God would rescue them. So would you, will I commit to praying for all the saints? Especially that brother or sister, that evangelical leader who seems to be drifting into error? In a war, a concentrated attack by the enemy is the time to strengthen the point of attack, not abandon it. You see somebody and they seem to be taking steps in a dangerous direction. That's not the guarantee they will go the full nine yards. We, we, we are thinking in merely human terms when we think, oh, they took the first step down the slippery slope. They're gone. What about the Gospel? How many of us would have written off Peter? Because Peter was used by the devil multiple times. Get thee behind me, Satan. Yes. Wasn't he deep in error thinking with the wisdom of the world? Would we have given him a label when he said, Oh, you will not die. That can't be. We're going to come up with another plan for you, Jesus. Jesus says, Get thee behind me, Satan. You are not setting your mind on the things that are above the things of God, but on the things of man. Or or how about when Peter just completely botched it, letting a, a little servant girl scare him into denying his Lord? We would have judged him for that instead of maybe praying for Him. But guess who did pray for Him? Jesus. Because Jesus knew what was going to happen. And He said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you. He came to my Father and He asked to take you that He might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you. I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned, strengthen your brothers. Have any of you taken a couple steps down that path? God pulled you back from the brink? Praise the Lord. Because He does rescue. And the good news He gives us is not of ourselves. And the power He calls us to stand in is not of ourselves. He tells us, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on His armor. Call out for His strength. And then watch Him win the war. Thanks be to God. Father, I thank You for the reminders from Your Word. I pray that they would be used to stir us up.
to have our eyes opened to the war around us, the unseen war, the war Satan is waging against us, and that reality would cause us to cling more closely to Jesus. Pray this is in His name. Amen.